0: Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we'll be reading together verses 22 through 24 this morning. This will be the main text that will anchor us as we consider the 13th article of the Belgic Confession. So Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. These verses are part of Peter's Pentecost sermon. This is the sermon that Peter gives on the day in which God and Christ pour out the Holy Spirit upon the church. So, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Well, please pay uh, careful attention for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please also look with me in your order of worship Under the confessional reading element, this morning we will be confessing together Article 13 in the Belgic Confession. This article is all about God's providence. Last week we considered God's creation. This week, Article 13 is all about God's providence. Well, congregation of Christ, what do you believe about God's providence? We believe that this good God, after He created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to His holy will, in such a way that nothing happens in this world without His orderly arrangement. Yet God is not the author of nor can he be charged with the sin that occurs. For his power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that he arranges and does his work very well and justly, even when the devils and wicked men act unjustly. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what he does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples so as to learn only what he shows us in his word, without going beyond those limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort, since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures under His control, so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they are all numbered, nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest, knowing that He holds in check the devils and all our enemies, who cannot hurt us without His permission and will. For that reason, we reject the damnable error of the Epicureans, who say that God involves Himself in nothing and leaves everything to chance. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless our consideration this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in two books of revelation. We do thank you for your book of creation, which is that most elegant book in which all creatures are uh, writ in, in small and large characters, revealing to us, pointing us to your existence and power and glory and grandeur. But we thank you for scripture we thank you that through your providence you have preserved scripture so that even right now this day we can consider and be edified through your truth and we pray O lord that your spirit would be present that we might not be mere hearers of your word but doers also we ask all these things in the name of our risen lord and savior jesus christ amen well, boys and girls, what are we called to do with our hearts and mouths? What are we called to do with our hearts and mouths? Noel, Very good. Yes, we are to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths. Now, according to the Belgian Confession, boys and girls, what is God? The three S words, what is God? Marcus? Single, simple, and spiritual. And how does this single, simple, and spiritual God reveal himself? Two ways. And Milani? Creation and His Word. Creation and His Word. Now, what is the Bible? Violet? Authoritative, sufficient, and inspired. Yes, God's Word is inspired, which means that God is the author of creation ultimately, and because. Scripture is is inspired; it is therefore authoritative, and sufficient. Now, what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? Violet. One essence in three persons. One essence in three persons. Uh, who is Who is Jesus Christ according to his divine nature? That title. Remember that title that we used, Annabelle. Yes, begotten of the Father. He's the eternally begotten Son of God. We confess this in the Nicene Creed. Uh, Who's the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? Noelle? He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Yes, we also confess this in the Nicene Creed. Uh, What do we believe about creation? If you recall last week, what do we believe about creation? What do we believe about creation? God created all things from something or nothing nothing right ex nihilo god created all things from nothing creation ex nihilo well article 13 now is all about god's relationship with his creation so god created all things but what is god's creation uh, relationship now with that creation which then brings us to the doctrine of god's providence god's providence is all about his relationship with his creation And so, how should we think about God's relationship with His creation? What is God's providence? Should we think about God's relationship with His creation like parents telling their adult children, You are now on your own, you need to be self sufficient? Or is God's relationship with His creation, is God's providence merely fatalistic determinism of a power hungry tyrant? What is God's providence? Furthermore, think about the issue of sin and suffering and evil that are so present in our world, our universe. Does this mean that God is sovereign but not really good because he allows and permits and ordains evil to exist in this known world? Or is God good but not fundamentally sovereign because he doesn't have the power to stop the suffering and the evil? What is God's relationship with his creation? What is What is God's providence? What do we believe about the providence of God? This is the question that we are going to turn our consideration to this morning. What do we believe about the providence of God? And this morning we are going to consider this in two points. The definition of providence and our responses to providence. The definition of providence and our responses to providence. Now if you have your order of worship open, look with me at that opening line again of article 13. Notice that we confess, or we believe, that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will, in such a way that nothing happens in this world apart from his orderly arrangements. Well, here we are confessing that God is sovereign. He governs all things, all of his creation in such a way that nothing happens apart from his orderly arrangement. God is sovereign. But yet, God is also fundamentally good. Notice that we say we believe that this good God did not abandon his creation to fortune and chance. God is both sovereign and good, and we don't have to pick one over the other. He's both. He's sovereign and he's good. We see this demonstrated in many places in Scripture. For instance, in, in Proverbs 16, we learn that God is sovereign even over the outcome of the roll of a dice. We see in Luke chapter 12 that God is sovereign over the number of the hairs of your head. God is sovereign over the lifespan of sparrows, meaning he is sovereign over even the most minute details of this created universe. In Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, Acts chapter 17, we learn that God has determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, meaning there is, is us, people, creatures, He has determined the allotted periods and and the boundaries of our dwelling place. He has determined the days that we will live on this earth. He has determined where we will live and move and operate within this universe. He is sovereign over all of that. But yet, this sovereign God is also good. In James chapter 1, we read that God is neither tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anybody to sin. God is both sovereign and good. We don't have to pick one over the other. He's both. Now, we might still ask, how can this be? How can God be both sovereign and good if there is suffering and evil that continues to persist in this world? How how can both of these things be true of God given the fact that there's evil and suffering in this world? Well, notice again that we confess that God is not the author of nor can he be charged with the sin that occurs. God is sovereign over evil, but he is not the author of it. God is sovereign over evil, but he is not the author of evil. Again, notice that the, the confession here says that devils and wicked men are the ones who act unjustly. God is not the one who are, who, who's causing the devils and the wicked men to act unjustly, they are responsible for their own unjust actions. Well, where do we see this in Scripture that God is sovereign over evil but yet not the author of evil? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, which we recently read. Consider what Peter says on that, that uh, on Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Who killed Jesus? Well, we read here that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God was sovereign over Jesus' death. But yet, Peter says, you, speaking to the Jews of the first century, you killed Jesus. God is sovereign over evil, but he's not the author of it. We see that demonstrated, revealed at the cross of Christ. God was Sovereign over the death of Jesus, but yet Judas and all, all, everybody else who was a part of putting Jesus on the cross, they were responsible for their evil acts. Again, we might ask, well, how can this be? How can God be both good and sovereign despite the fact that there's evil in this world? How can God be sovereign over evil, but yet not the author of it? Well, we confess that God's power and goodness is incomprehensible to us, which leads us to the first response that we are to have to the doctrine of God's providence. The first response that we are to have to the doctrine of God's providence is that we are to be content with what has been revealed. We are to be content with what has been revealed. We are to be content with what has been revealed. Now, if we continue reading in Article 13, uh, we see that the Confession says, We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what God does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. But But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples so as to learn only what he shows us in his word without going beyond those limits. This, these couple sentences are so important, so important for a right and proper understanding of God's relationship with his creation, of understanding the doctrine of God's providence, We are to respond to God's providence with humility and reverence. We are to adore the just judgments of God that remain hidden from us. Notice that we do not adore and revere the judgments of God insofar as we can exhaustively understand those judgments. No, we adore and revere the just judgments of God despite the fact that his ways in this world remain and will continue to remain inexplicable to us. We are to be content with what has been revealed and not go beyond those limits. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It means that we are content with what has been revealed and we do not go beyond those limits. Deuteronomy 29.29 Uh, we read that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Now, Romans 8.28 is a verse that you all probably are familiar with. It's a a well-loved verse by many Christians, and in that verse, God promises that he will work for good all things in our life. For all those who love God, for all those who are called according to his purpose, God will work every circumstance in their life for good. Now, beyond the fact that God is using everything to conform us more and more into the image of Christ, we will never know in this age the specific good that God is working out of our circumstances. So, think about the current trials, afflictions, sufferings that you are enduring, or that you've had to endure, or that loved ones in your lives have had to endure. Most likely, you will never know the specific good that God is working in the midst of those circumstances. And we are called to be content with not knowing, we're called to be content merely with what has been revealed in Scripture. Now, when it comes to contentment, this is arguably the hardest area to find contentment in. It's difficult. It's difficult to be content with not knowing what God is up to. It's difficult to be content only with what's been revealed. Because what's been revealed doesn't give us that very specific and particular good that God is doing in our lives, in the midst of our sufferings and afflictions, beyond the fact that he's doing it for our sanctification And uh, growth in Christ. This is hard. This is arguably one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life. To be okay with not knowing. To be okay with not knowing the secret will of God and contenting ourselves with what has been revealed. And so how? How do we find this contentment? Well, we need to make the cross and the resurrection the center of our consciousness. We need to make the cross and the resurrection the center of our minds. Now, what is the cross and what is the resurrection? Well, the cross is, at least according to one perspective, the greatest act of evil that's ever been committed in human history. The cross is the greatest act of evil that's ever been committed in world history. What's the resurrection? Well, the resurrection is God demonstrating that he can take the greatest act of evil and turn it into the greatest good. The cross and the resurrection are essentially God proving Romans 8.28 on an ultimate level, on an ultimate scale. God taking the greatest act of evil, the death of the Son of God, and turning it into the greatest good in human history. That's what we read in Acts chapter 2. The pangs of death could not hold Jesus. And so how can we be content with not knowing the secret will of God? Well, we can be content because God's already proven himself. Essentially, when we read Romans 8.28 through the lens of the cross and the resurrection, what it's saying to us is that God is a God who can and has taken the greatest act of evil and has turned it into the greatest good and promises to do the same in your life. Whether or not you know what that specific good is in this age, God has proven Himself, which is why we can trust Him—that He is doing that despite our not knowing what He's up to. Our temptation when we're coming, uh, trying to walk alongside people who are suffering, going through trials, is our temptation is to try to explain away the suffering. Look for silver linings in the circumstance. Things could be worse. It's not that bad. You'll really thank God for this in 10 years. That's our temptation. It usually comes out of a good desire, but that's generally speaking not helpful in those moments. What people need to be reminded of is the cross and the resurrection. That they are entrusting themselves upon a God who has proven himself, a God who is able to take the greatest act of evil and turn it into the greatest good, and that God promises to to do the same in their life and in their circumstances, regardless if we'll ever know what those specific goods are. Essentially, you're coming alongside someone and saying, God has proven himself, and therefore you can trust him. God has proven himself, therefore you can be okay with not knowing the secret will of God. God has proven himself, therefore you can be content with what has been revealed. And so, as you think about your own life this morning, are you content with what has been revealed? Are you content with God's revelation of himself in the cross and the resurrection? Or do you find yourself demanding God to reveal to you his secret will? We are to be content Content with what has been revealed. God has proven himself. He has taken the greatest act of evil and turned it into the greatest good and promises that he is doing the same in your life. Well, this leads us to the second response that we are to have, which is comfort. This doctrine is given to us that we might be comforted. You'll notice that towards the end of, of Article 13, we confess That this doctrine is meant to give us unspeakable comfort because God watches over us with fatherly care. Furthermore, we also confess, confess this in this thought we rest, knowing that God holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without his permission and will. Do you find unspeakable comfort in this doctrine? Do you rest in this doctrine? That nothing comes by chance, but everything proceeds from the loving hand of our Heavenly Father and is done according to his orderly arrangement for your good. Do you rest in this? Do you find unspeakable comfort in this? Are you comforted by the fact that the hairs of your head are counted, the breasts that you will take are numbered, and the days of your life are determined? Do you find comfort in this? That nothing can thwart God's plan for your life, a plan that he already um, comprehended before the foundation of the universe. That God is not, his plans are not thwarted or changed by your sins and weaknesses and failures. That God still is and will accomplish his good purposes in your life despite your sins, failures, and weaknesses. That's comforting. Do you rest in that? Well, Guido de Bray, who is the author of this confession, he, as I mentioned before, died a martyr's death. And towards the end of his life, before he died, he was imprisoned. And in prison, as he was awaiting his death, he wrote a letter to his wife. And I'd like to read just a portion of this letter, because this this portion of, of this letter that he wrote to his wife Reminds us that that he actually believed in this doctrine. He didn't just write this as a pastor and a theologian for the churches. He believed it. He believed it at the moment of death. So listen to what Guido de Bray wrote his wife um, as he was anticipating his own death in prison. He says, It is very true that human reason rebels against this doctrine of the providence of God. This I have experienced. When I was arrested, I would say to myself, so many of us should not have traveled together. We were betrayed by this one or that one. We ought not to have been arrested. With such thoughts, I became overwhelmed until my spirits were raised by the thoughts of this providence of God. Essentially what what he's saying there is when he was in prison, he was constantly thinking about, oh, we should have done this differently or that differently. And if we would have done that, we'd been a little bit smarter, a little more wise, then I wouldn't be in prison right now. And he he said that, that doing this overwhelmed him until he raised his mind to the providence of God. If we're honest with ourselves, we are tempted to do the very same thing, to live in the past, to think, well, if I would have just done this differently or that differently, then life would be a lot better right now. And whenever we go down that that mode of thinking, we quickly descend into the depths of despair. And it's in those moments that we need to raise our minds to the high and majestic doctrine that God is our providential heavenly father and that he watches over us with fatherly care. Let's pray.